some lessons under the umbrella of the idea of living a life that matters. And the lessons will come uh, from Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. And so that's where we'll begin tonight with kind of a summary lesson that, that sets everything up. Uh, The question I would begin with tonight is, uh, what would happen if, or maybe the better way to ask it is, would anyone notice if I moved out of my neighborhood tomorrow, or if uh, I didn't show up at work tomorrow, if I left my employment tomorrow, or if I no longer was a part of this church family tomorrow? What would be the implications of that and would anyone notice? Because the point is, because of who we are as Christians, as salt, it ought to really be hard for us to disappear from any key aspect of life without people noticing. It should make a difference if we're not there. Because God has positioned us to live lives that matter in every aspect of our lives, whether it's as a neighbor or as a a worker, as a, a member of God's family, the church. In every aspect of life, we should be making a difference. That's what He's positioned us to do. Now, every life matters to God. And that's not news to any of us. We understand that. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 reminds us that as people, we are created in the image of God. When you go to John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture, it's for God so loved the world. Jesus didn't come just for a few. Jesus didn't come just for certain ones. Jesus came for the world. And so uh, it's the idea that every life matters to God. Every person who has been, every person who is, every person who will be, every life. But see, the question is, will I choose to live a life that matters? In other words, will I choose to live a life that actually makes a difference? Because those who are attempting to live a life that matters, we as those people should be making a positive difference in the lives of others. Those who are attempting to live a life that matters, we should be making a positive difference in the kingdom of God. Our key text for tonight, what we want to drive our lesson off of, is that next to last verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, uh, where Solomon has, he's talked about a lot of things in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he's pointed out that there are a number of things that are often very, very important to us, but, but things that can never provide true meaning in life. He's looked at things like wisdom, pleasures, education, stuff, work, friends, personal advancement, riches, recreation. He's looked at it all. And then when you get to the end of the last chapter, in verse 13, this is what he concludes. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every person. Now, the New American Standard there, the translation in the New American Standard, it's kind of different than what many translations have and maybe to what you're used to hearing. We're used to translations that say, because this is the whole duty of man or because this is the duty of all mankind or this is what all people must do. One of the things, though, that sometimes happens in Scriptures, and, I, and I, I like the translation here, and I'll tell you why. Sometimes when the Bible starts talking about all of mankind, 
it's easy for me to look at everyone else. And, and when the Bible comes back though and says, because this applies to every person, it's hard for me to read that verse and not apply it to me. And so I like the translation there. Fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every person. And so the first thing we want to think about tonight is the idea that uh, living lives that matter are going to fear God. Fear God and keep His commandments. The first part of that, lives that matter, fear God. Why do we fear God? Well, because this applies to every person. And because of the next verse. Notice how the next verse, verse 14 of chapter 12, goes on to drive home the idea that this ought to be important to us. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Let's think for a few minutes about living with the conclusion in mind. And it's not the first time for us to mention this concept, but when God is going to bring every act into judgment, what that means is, as God looks at my life, He's going to be looking to see if the way that I've been living is consistent with the conclusion that I've been hoping for. Do we, in 2016 now, it's hard to get used to saying that, do we, in 2016, think about the conclusion on a regular basis? What I've noticed through the years as I've gotten older, I find myself thinking about the conclusion more than I thought about the conclusion when I was younger. But see, the sooner that all of us, no matter what our age, the sooner that we make the conclusion a part of our ongoing, normal, day-to-day thought process, the sooner we do that, the better off we're going to be. And as we think in terms of the fact that over the last few weeks, this church family has felt the sting of loss, maybe more... Uh, seemingly more than any church family's fair share should be. When we go through things like that and when we're hurting, we look for meaning and we look for things that we can latch onto that will help us. And maybe one of the positives in loss is that it can get those of us who are still here to be thinking about the conclusion more often. Back to those what-if-I-left questions that we started with tonight. You know, if I walk away from my current job, it matters. I might be greatly missed. But see, my career, the way I earn my living, that's not actually the conclusion. Now, God smiles on and God expects hard work, but as long as what I'm doing is legal and it's honest and it's ethical and it doesn't interfere with my ability to to serve the Lord, as long as those things are in place, it really doesn't matter what kind of work I do because my career isn't the conclusion. If I'm younger, I may get myself involved in a number of of sports and recreational type activities and, and I may miss a ball practice, I may miss a game and those things are important because when I when I get involved with a team, I've committed to that team. Those things are important, yet my recreation isn't the conclusion. You know, we're living increasingly in a world where it seems like our recreational activities, they get scheduled up in a way that makes it harder. It it often hinders our ability to put our focus on God. 
during the days that we lived in Atlanta, I was always impressed. Um, one of our deacons at the congregation uh, was an SEC referee. And it was always amazing to me. He might be, we lived in Atlanta, he might be working a game down in Baton Rouge. And so I stumble to bed late at night when that game's over and I've seen him on TV, he's working that game. And then I walk into worship the next day and he's back home, back in worship. And I don't know, I guess he just didn't sleep. But that always stood out to me the way Billy Schroer uh, conducted his business. We value education. I'm in the education business, and many of you are as well. Even into adulthood, education's highly valuable, but the amount of education that we end up with, that isn't the conclusion either. And so we need to live with the real conclusion in mind. Another thing that will help us as we seek to fear God, uh, lives that matter fear God, another thing that will help us is I need to understand my place. Go with me, if you would, back to Ecclesiastes, the fifth chapter. And in that chapter, there's a statement made in verse 2 where the, 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 the verse says, Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God, for God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words excuse me, be few. Well, that was a challenge sometimes because sometimes we've got a lot of questions for God. But I also want you to notice the context around this because the context, the, the verses surrounding this, it, they paint a picture of, of what it means to fear God. The first verse talks about the need for us to guard our steps. It says, guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know they're doing evil. So guard your steps. And then notice verses 4 and 5. It's going to talk about the idea that we need to honor our vows to God. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it. For he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. And so then he talks about in verse 6, don't let your speech cause you to sin. Do not let your speech cause you to sin and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? I wonder sometimes if we have trouble coming to grips with the idea and admitting to the fact that we're sinners. The, 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 Solomon's picking up on the idea. It's a lot easier to stand up and say, well, I made a bit of a mistake. I'm a, I'm a mistaker. But there's this idea that I'm actually a sinner. And then in verse 7, the conclusion again, for in many dreams and in many words there's emptiness. Rather... Fear God. Because the idea is, if I want to do a better job of fearing God and living with the end in mind, it really helps me to be reminded that God is God and I am not. And sometimes it's easy for me to forget that He's in control and it's not really me who is in control. Because sometimes, isn't it almost like our self-image gets a little bit messed up? We'll, we'll see a situation, we'll see something going on, and we'll question God in such a way where it's almost as if we believe we could have added something to God's process that would have somehow made everything better. 
when you go back to the Garden of Eden, isn't that what happened with Eve? Buying into the lie, buying in her belief that she could be even better than God had already made her, better than being created in God's image, better than simply following one directive from God, better than the very good that God had designed her to be. See, there's an aspect when we th- there's there's an aspect of fearing God in that we need to trust and be confident in the fact that His way is always best. And when you go back to Genesis three, and we read that early on in the story as we got started way back in in September, but that's exactly what's happening with Eve. She's buying into the idea that she's she can be better if she follows her own way. Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. See, the lesson from Eve is not trusting that God's way was best. It did not bring an improvement to her life. What it brought was death and what it brought was separation. And that's still a valuable lesson for us today. Our overall goal, if we're going to be those who fear God, our overall goal should be to draw near to Him. It, it, it ought to be my overriding desire day in and day out. And James chapter 4, verse 8 talks about that. In fact, when you think about the sin in the garden and the separation and everything we've been talking about in the, the story, what God is trying to accomplish, everything from the point man was separated was all about God bringing man back into a relationship with Him. James 4 verse 8 says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. And then the verse goes on to say it does some how-to. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, the first part of that verse, some have referred to that as a summary of the entire Bible. Draw near to God, and He'll draw near to you. The question is, for all of us, as we examine and think about our lives, does that verse describe the way I'm living my life right now? Because there are times where I I know God is here, and I know I ought to be near to Him, but sometimes I want to see how far away I can get and actually still be classified as near to Him. It's as if I want to live on the edge, not be actually in danger, but close to danger. And the problem is, that's not what we ever see portrayed as successful in Scripture. You think about some of the people we've been studying in the story. Abraham, he draws near to God and he goes from being childless to the father of a nation. Moses, he he draws near to God and he goes from being an excuse maker to a mighty leader. There's David, he draws near to God and he goes from being a shepherd boy to a giant killer. Over in the New Testament, there are men like Peter. He draws near to God and he goes from being this fearful denier to to writing these words of encouragement that when Christians are going to be undergoing persecution, Peter's the one writing to them about how they're going to get through that. Paul, he draws near to God and he goes from being a murderer to a missionary. And the reason we're always so encouraged by these success stories is again because none of these guys were perfect. Even after they drew near, they were always still human. 
But they feared God and they were faithful. The way they lived their lives mattered. And see, like them, we can be faithful and the closer we draw to God, the better we understand the significance that He intends for our lives to have, we too can live lives that truly matter. And so that's the first part of our verse. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God. But then there's a conjunction, an and, joining the first part and the second part. And so it's fear God and keep His commandments. It's hard to read that without going to the New Testament and thinking about the impact of the great commandment in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, where... Uh, Jesus is being questioned and He's being asked about the great commandment. And so, uh, sometimes we're prone to look for the easy way out. Something very human about that. If there's an easier way to get the job done that still gets the job done, I may want to go the easier route. And when it comes to living a life that matters, and when it comes to fearing God and keeping His commandments, Jesus calls us to a very, very high standard. Matthew 22, the the, the verses are familiar, beginning in verse 35. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, "'Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law?' And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Love God and love each other. And when we're reminded about what it's truly all about, it's also a reminder that that God's Word, it's not like tax law. It's not about me finding the loophole in, that, that God left open in Scripture so that I can jump into that loophole and live my life my way instead of God's way. That's not what God's plan has ever been about. And see, when I love God and I love people, my life really begins to matter and be very significant because my life becomes all about representing the Lord well. Or as well as I can within my human limitations. Why should I keep His commandments? Well, I should do that because as a Christian, I've committed to the idea that it's all about Him. You know, we live in troubled times. And sometimes it's easy for us to get so concerned about alleviating the immediate stress and the immediate pressure and solving the immediate problem. We can get so caught up in that that we forget about what God can do through us and for us if we're devoted to fearing Him and keeping His commandments and representing Him well. Remember Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Instead of looking for relief and for comfort in things that in one sense don't matter and can't provide permanent relief, if we'll put the spotlight on God, we may well be amazed at the difference that He can make through us. You know, think about it, attempting to keep His commandments, it places the spotlight on Him. It removes the spotlight from me. And that ought to be ensuring that I'm trying to solve my problems then His way 
instead of chasing solutions that in the end can't be permanent. And as we make it about Him, and people try to, and they see us trying to live out that relationship with Him, we make the difference in our world that He intended us to make by drawing others to Him. So the third and final thing we want to notice tonight, we want to notice just a couple of practical solutions, practical ideas that can help us be more successful in living lives that matter. So I want to give you two things. Number one, I need to take personal responsibility for my life and for my relationship with God. And that comes straight out of our key text tonight in verse 13. The conclusion when it's all has been heard is fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every person. It applies to me. There was an article published several years ago in the New York Post about the idea of, of taking responsibility. And a lot of the article focused on the political world. And it's, it was exploring the question of, in politics, you know, what should the political leader do when something goes terribly wrong? Because there had been a school of thought, and we've seen this one play out, where the political leader would find somebody to blame. I blame the guy who was in office before me, or I, I, I blame the previous regime, I blame the party that was in office before I was. And, and some people still go that route today. They find someone else to blame. But this article, over time, people were seeing that for what it was, as being irresponsible and kind of shiftless. And so some began to say, well, the new approach needs to be the, the, the politician should stand up and say, I take responsibility for that. But then the article went on to say, but the catch was, nothing would really change. I would say I'd take responsibility, but I really didn't. But we know as children of God, taking responsibility for our own lives and our own issues is biblical. And one of the things as we've studied the story, you think about some of these successful kings that we've looked at, men like Asa, men like Hezekiah this morning. One thing they did do is they took responsibility for their current situation. They didn't try to blame the guy before them. Hezekiah could have blamed his dad. You know, I don't know why my dad put me in this mess. Well, he didn't do that. He just came in, took responsibility, and went to work. We live today in a culture of victimhood. And yet as God's children, we're called to be different. Called to live at a higher level. And as we see relationships break down, sometimes we see spouses being blamed and parents being blamed and teachers being blamed and political leaders being blamed and preachers being blamed and elders being blamed and bosses being blamed. And you know, sometimes we'll even blame God. But that's not God's plan. Those who are going to successfully live lives that matter take responsibility for everything in their lives, both good and bad. And again, that's a biblical concept. Life isn't fair because we live in a fallen world. But as representatives of Christ who have chosen to live a life that matters and, and, and who have chosen to make a positive difference in the lives of others, there are some decisions we've made Ones that we need to recommit to on a daily basis if that's what it takes. The idea that we choose not to be a victim of the actions of others. And I say that realizing that sometimes 
Other people make choices and do things that hurt us and scar us and beat us down. But, but the idea as God's people, we're going to make a decision that says, I'm not going to be victimized by the actions of somebody else. I'm going to choose to faithfully trust God. And I'm going to choose to see setbacks and I'm going to choose to see problems as part of what strengthens my faith to the very best of my ability. I want the things that happen to me to hopefully make me stronger. Something about that in the book of James, right? As those who are choosing to live lives that matters, we're going to choose not to waste time. Our most valuable resource Waste time whining about how unfair people are. People are unfair. Even sometimes our brothers and sisters in Christ are going to have a bad day and they're going to be unfair. That's not who they are permanently. Hopefully that's who they are temporarily. But we're going to keep going on in a positive way. We're going to choose not to curse life because of our circumstances. Because we're not always going to be at the front of the proverbial line. We may never be at the front of the proverbial line until that day of judgment when we're welcomed into heaven. It may just never happen that way. We simply choose to firmly accept responsibility for our own responses to life. I can't affect everything that happens to me, but I can have a dramatic impact on how I handle it and how I react and what I do next. One of the beauties, again, as we think about what's gone on just within the last few weeks, I think you see a great example in that in, in the life of somebody like Lucy. can't control what happens to me, but I can control how I'm going to react. And because of a reaction like that, that's why a church family then can celebrate a life that was so well lived. There's a reminder in the book of Ezekiel about our need to take personal responsibility and the words aren't new to most of us. Those words in chapter 18 verse 19, Yet you say, Why should the Son not bear the punishment for the Father's iniquity when the Son has practiced justice and righteousness and has observed all my statutes and done them? He shall surely live. The person who sins will die. The Son will not bear the punishment for the Father's iniquity, nor will the Father bear the punishment for the Son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself." I read the words of Ezekiel because it's a reminder that no one can fear God and keep His commandments for me. I can't farm that out. I can't assign that to someone else. And if we're going to be the kind of people who live lives that matter, we know that, that, that with faith, setbacks, they're going to happen, but they're temporary, even if they last a lifetime here. And that every problem we encounter, it holds the potential for us to represent Christ well, to take responsibility and to look at what happens next and to make sure that's an encouragement to somebody. Life is what happens in us, not just around us. It may be a bit of meddling here, and not about cats this time, <laughs> but as parents, we do our children a disservice if we don't begin instilling this personal responsibility way of thinking within them at an early age rather than blindly just taking up for them even when they're completely wrong, 
And I make that statement realizing that it doesn't always go over well in every case, but I'm afraid sometimes maybe we've confused unconditional love with treating kids like they can do no wrong. And if we ever fall into that, we're not doing them a long-term favor because they're going to have to grow up learning to fear God and keep His commandments. The second challenge or the second practical idea that I'll leave you with tonight, I need to figure out a way to invest my time in things that have real meaning And the reason for that is in verse 14 of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or whether it is evil. That doesn't mean I don't need recreation and rest and all those things that refuel us and help us be productive. But the statement should also cause me to want to invest my time in things that are pleasing to God. And as I analyze, an excellent litmus test might well be to ask the question, does this matter to God rather than, does this just matter to me? Another question I might ask as I think about how I use my time, does this cause me to ignore or to not have time for things that matter to God? Because here's the thing. If you and I, if we choose to invest our time in meaningless things, our lives will not have true meaning. And again, this is another one where with our young people, we need to help them understand the the way you use your time is important. And we've got to begin to to develop that that passion within them for using their time in ways that, that glorify God. There's a balance problem if I'm in 15 social clubs and I play every sport, but I somehow haven't found time to get involved with my youth group. You see how that works? And then when I finally realize there's a problem, I run to Dustin and I'm like, Dustin, can you help me? And I've kind of put him in a bad position. I must invest my time in things that have real meaning. Too many people in life today are living without meaning and purpose and what they should see in us is the living out of fearing God and keeping His commandments because this applies to every person. J. Michael Shannon said, We eat foods that do not nourish us. We drink beverages that do not quench our thirst. We wear clothing that does not protect us. They all symbolize the fact that we live without purpose. We've all seen that, and we could have put it on the screen tonight. We've seen the hamster running on the wheel and running in the cage, and that's not what life is supposed to be. And so will I be different? Will I live my life with the conclusion in mind? Will I live a life that matters? And that's what we're going to continue to look at in the next few weeks. Jesus gave His life so that we can live our lives for the same purpose that He had. And the question is, will we answer that challenge? The first step toward living a life that matters is being a child of God, being a Christian. And maybe you're here tonight and you've been thinking about that. Maybe you've been studying about that. Maybe you still have some questions. Ask your questions. Ask somebody near you. Come ask me. Ask one of the elders. Get answers to your questions. But if you have the answers and you've just been stalling, I would encourage you tonight not to stall any any longer. Start 2016 off as a child of God. Become a Christian tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and you just need to start over. 
Maybe as you think about the, uh, the, the main text tonight, maybe your purpose hasn't really been what it needs to be and maybe you just want to refocus on that and maybe that's one where you go home tonight and you have a conversation with God in private about the changes that you want to make. Maybe you're in a situation though where you want your church family praying with you and for you. We're here to do that if you have a need. While Bradley leads us, if you have a need, let it be known while we stand and while we sing. Have you been to...